everybody. This is Tyler. This is Danny. And this is Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. This week will be Tenebra. Before we get there, I just said we have to get stoned. So, in the name of getting stoned, in our green hits, Danny, what is this J that I'm about to relight? Because I was already smoking on it for a little bit today. So I brought over a J from Flower, and that J is the strain Mango Mentality. It's one we've brought over several times before, but once again, it is a hybrid strain. It's used with the genetic cross of Gushmints in Mango Haze. Now, this one over at Flower, as far as the cannabinoids, it comes in at about 30% roughly, right? And your terpenes, not too much, about 1.3%. The one that stands out the most in this particular profile is the myrcene. So you're going to get more notes of like some hoppy, earthy, and piney flavors, notes, aromas, things like that. Because there are trace elements of osamine and some pinene as well in this strain. Now this one, I do like it. It's a sativa hybrid. It gets you kind of talkative, uplifted, hungry. I think that's weed in general, but <laughs> more specifically this strain. And like I said, coming in at about 30% too, this one is more for the initiated consumers. So keep that in mind. For those who are curious, a few strains that if you want to complement with the show or just in general, you can try out some Runts, Sour OG, some Exodus Cheese, and Goji OG. Those are very complimentary to Mango Mentality. Goji OG. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I was worried for a second because I saw the box that you brought your <laughs> fucking weed from. I see the color of it. I was wondering if we doubled up again, but we didn't. Okay. I brought for you some Euphoria. Read from some different skunk strains in the early 2000s. This, once again, from down at Flower, is coming in at about 28.9% total cannabinoids, about 2% total terps, with the leader far and away being limonene, followed by myrcene and linalool. Once again, with that around 30%, probably a little bit more for the initiated, a little bit more uh, upbeat social strain. I've always enjoyed some euphoria. I know we've had it on the show before. So That's a good strain. That's what we got for wheat today. But we'd like to remind everybody, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms. At the lowest level, you could listen to this last week. Highest level, you got access to the Discord. And that sweet spot in the middle, you start getting our Patreon-only episodes. What's coming up next? Well, I think if we hit this one right, I want to say it's Savage Land. That's right. Oh, no, we're going we're gonna to flip it and put Savage Land at oh, the end. Oh, okay, okay. So if that's the case, then we got Scream coming up. That's right. We're going to finish off the slasher yeah, run. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot more flip sense. No, I like that because land. it'll be more fitting, yeah, especially with what we're doing. That's right. So Scream. Yeah, that's going to be fun. All right, I'm looking forward to that. But for this week, let's get into the guts and bolts, find out who and what went into the making of Tenebra. Guts and Bolts. All right, Guts and Bolts, who and what went into the making of this flick? Spoiler-free. Spoiler-free setup for the movie, in case you don't know what the fuck a Tenebra is. Uh-huh. Darkness, by the way. Darkness. Darkness is. Let's see, spoiler-free? How about, what would he be, mystery author? Yeah, I mean, say that. He's a giallo author, is really what he is, <laughs> right? Right, exactly a giallo author from America. So yeah, Pulp Mysteries. Touches down in Italy for the first time where a murder has just happened based on one of his books. And he gets pulled into the conflict. I like it. <laughs> All right now, 
this shouldn't be a surprise because this is actually a director we've talked about before. Not very many times, although we've brought him up shit tons of times, right? You can't help it. I know, especially in this genre. So I'm talking about Dario Argento, and we've talked about him a couple times previously. Talked about him back on episode 49, which was our, I won't say our formal introduction, but it was on the show, right? For opera. And then we brought it back. For, oh, that's right, because we didn't... We yeah, didn't, we didn't go the traditional route, if you will. With, of Suspiria. Exactly. But we did on episode 91 when we talked about Suspiria. And for those who are unfamiliar, for whatever reason, that's okay. That's why you're here. We'll educate you a little bit. He was known for a couple of different trilogies, if you will. So one of them was his early works in this particular genre, giallos, right? He started off with The Bird with Crystal Plumage, The Cat of Nine Tails, and Four Flies on Grey Velvet. That was like animal-themed, right? And then he went into, which we talked about, Suspiria, The Three Witches, mm-hmm. right? So he did Inferno, and he also did Mother of Tears in that one. There's sort a couple of different triplets. trilogies. Yeah, it, it's more like that. So then with that being said, that we already talked about a few of those films. He's been a producer on a bunch of them. Some of his later works, not the best, like Card Player, it's decent. I would say up until maybe, I, I did like the Stendhal Syndrome. That's actually pretty good. And there's another one, let me see, Sleepless. Those two are 90s films, pretty decent, man. Uh, but regardless, infamous Italian director inspired a lot of works that followed. I was going to say, if if all Argento ever did was Suspiria, oh, that's yeah. an all-time movie to begin with. He cemented himself as an all-time great, having things like oh. opera and tenebra alongside it. Without a doubt. So it didn't hurt in his mm-hmm. filmography. But shouldn't be a surprise either that, you know, he worked on spaghetti westerns early on and Once Upon a Time in the West being a big one that he worked on. So no surprise there. All right. Now, he is the writer on this project. His cinematographer was Luciano Tavoli. He's a guy we talked about before because he was the cinematographer on Suspiria. The other things of note for him, he worked on the film Four Came to Kill Sartana. He also did the film Beyond the Door. He was known for Single White Female, the film Monkey Trouble, which is a kid's movie. <laughs> He's also known for The Kiss of Death, the film Titus, Murder by Numbers, and Dracula 3D. All right, we've got editor Franco Fraticelli, gentleman we talked about before. He's known for Opera, episode 49, and Suspiria, and most, if not all, of Argento's works, which I've already listed. All right, this music was composed by Claudio Samanetti, Fabio Pagnatelli, and Massimo Marante. And formerly, they were Goblin, right? Like mm-hmm. three-quarters, well, three-fifths of the original because they were known as the Cherry Five to begin with. Kind of neat. But for the films I've already listed, they've also worked on episode 131, Dawn of the Dead, which okay. we talked about Argento's hand in that too, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. But let's hear a few other things of note, just, just a few, right, from Goblin which I'll talk about later, too, because it's kind of cool, man. Deep Red, dope-ass film. They helped on Martin, which is another film, man. George Romero's Martin. We talked about with Zombie, right? George Romero. Once again, Phenomena. (laughs) Sleepless as well. The Church. Hell of the Living Dead. So some really cool Italian films, right? All right, moving forward, we do have producer Claudio Argento. The production company on this was Sigma. Cinematografica Roma, the distributor on this was Titus for the 1982 Italian theatrical release. And it had a release date on October 27th, 1982. While we're in cast and crew, did you happen to notice who the AD was? I didn't look. Lamberto Bava. Ah, I was going to say, that's kind of neat, because he also used uh, Michel Suave, 
Mm. <laughs> we talked about before, so it doesn't surprise me. It's really cool. Not only that, but Claudio being his brother and his dad, Salvatore, they were both producers really on this. Right, so, right. Another shouldn't be a shocker. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I'm going to move into the cast. We've got Anthony Franchosa plays the role of Peter Neal. Right? A few things of note from him. He was known for the film A Hat Full of Rain. He was also in A Face in the Crowd. He was also in Death Wish Part 2, the film Death House, and City Hall. All right, here's an actor got a long filmography. Don't have to really go too in-depth. I'm talking about John Saxon, plays the role of Bulmer in the film. Oh, man. Right? We talked about him more recently because of our revisit with A Nightmare on Elm Street, but formally back on episode 17, we'll review that. Also, episode 217 for A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. And let's see here. Just a few films of note, I suppose, because he's been in a shit ton. How about Enter the Dragon? Yes. From way back when, 1970. Let's see here. Just Beverly Hill Cops Part 3. Yeah, which is really dope. Beyond Evil, The Scorpion with Two Tails. So he's been in a few giallos there. My mom's a werewolf. <laughs> he was in Hellmaster. This is kind of neat. Yeah, Wes Craven's A New Nightmare. Done lots of television as well. But, I mean, it's a familiar face. Once you've seen John Saxon, you'll know who he is almost immediately, right? Absolutely. Very distinctive look. Yeah. He's a very... in. Even when he's not being intense, he's... Kind of has, yeah, I know, it's kind of funny. All right, we have Daria Nicolodi. She plays the role of Anne, and a few things of note from her. We have actually talked about her on episode 49 for opera, and she was in episode 91 for Suspiria. A few other things of note. She was in Deep Red. She was in the film Shock. She was in the film Inferno and a Phenomena. She was also in Pagnini's Horror, The Sect, and Mother of Tears. All right, we have Giuliani Gemma. Plays the role of Detective Germani. He was in the original Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, shit. Yeah, from way back when. Okay. He was in the film The Leopard, Day of Anger, and Corleone. I wonder, like, was he one of the main guys? Do you know? I honestly, I'm not sure. Like, I wonder if he was Val Kilmer. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have Corolla Stagnaro. She plays the role of Detective Altieri. A few things of note from her. She was actually Alma's mother in episode 49 of Opera, right? And oh. she was in the movie Phantom of Death. We've got John Steiner, who plays Christiana Berti. Things of note from him, he was actually in Lucio Fulci's White Fang and Challenge to White Fang. He was also in the film Shock, Caligula, and Sinbad of the Seven Seas, starring Lou Ferrigno. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. All right, we have Veronica Lario. Now, this is really the only thing of note. She's been in, like, maybe four other things, but they were, like, maybe Z-grade Italian films, right? I think more notably... She was Berlusconi's wife for quite a while, was a former prime Ooh. minister of Italy. It's kind of interesting. All right, we have Marella D'Angelo. She plays the role of Tilda. A few things of note from her, she was in Caligula, City of Women, Apartment Zero, and the precursor to Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, a film called Hard Men. Okay. Yeah, all right. We have Christian Borromeo, plays the role of Johnny. Uh, he's been in two things of note. He was in The House on the Edge of the Park, which is a Ruggiero Diodata film, and Murder Rock. All right, we've got three other people of note, and then this will kind of round out our cast. We've got Anya Caroni. She plays the role of Elsa Mani. She was in the film Inferno and The House by the Cemetery. All right, we have Laura Wendell. She played the role of Maria Alboreto. She was in The Perfume of the Lady in Black. Want to guess which genre <laughs> all right and we have morella banti plays the role of marion and she was in for members only and white fire so that rounds out our cast and crew 
So while bringing up the titles like that, I just have to do this quick aside. Oh yeah, no doubt. I just got done generators. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> right. I just got done recording one of the other podcasts I do for Earworm. We were doing some uh, general nerdery talking about an anime called Comey Can't Communicate. Okay. And Zach was whining about the modern slice of life anime naming conventions because it's all shit like Comey Can't Communicate or. I can't, oh God, I can't remember the one that he said, said its name like 10 times and I can't remember the name of the person, but it's like, somebody won't let me be invisible and shit like that. And I'm just like, dude, all it reminds me of is like 70s spaghetti Western titles where it's like, you know, if you see Django, it's already too late and you're dead or whatever. And then he misremembered what I said and brought up, what, is it like a Giallo title? And I'm like, no. Giallo titles are fucking heads and shoulders above, and I got to pull out, like, oh, your vice awesome. is a locked room and only I have the key. All right. Five dolls for an August moon, like... I know, man. The bird with the crystal plumage. Yeah, I know, man. It, but that's what makes it kind of a standout, just the, he, the titles alone. He was commenting on how many of them just sound like porn titles, and I'm like, well, you're not wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, because, you know, sometimes there's sexy time in it. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of sexy time and a lot of giallos. Yeah, you know, that's part, that's part of it. Gialli? It's gialli, isn't it? But, yeah, regardless. I mean, it depends on, I guess, the male, female. But the point being is, like, it has a distinction amongst, like, thrillers and pulp fiction, crime noir, et cetera, et cetera, that I, f- I find kind of interesting because it's, I think, in a way, it spawned maybe two different subgenres of film, if you will. Mm. You know? One being like the proto slasher and also like the sexy crime thrillers, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like, um, who is it? Uh, I mean, De Palma was known for a lot of those yeah, in the like, 80s. Yeah. Or even something like, I don't know, like Basic Instinct. Yeah, exactly. Like it followed in those footsteps. Yeah, I think it's kind of neat. Anyway, where were we? Oh, so oh, wait, we got yeah. past the cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup, some warnings. Warnings. Um, violence. Yeah. Definitely. Blood. Oh, yeah, there's and- good blood and. I want to say, I mean, gore, maybe a little bit. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Technically, yeah. yes, but I don't. I mean, I feel like when people usually think of gore, they think of like. I think more like guts. guts yeah, right? exactly. And this is gore as in like things are getting hacked apart. Precisely. It's in that sense, yes. But it's more bloody than anything. Agreed. Technically gore, but. Right, but it's, it, it's there's level to it just as well. There's yeah. levels to that. Language. And uh, boobies. Yeah, nudity. I'm not complaining, though. Yeah. That's about it? I think so. Yeah, in that case, let's uh, find out how Tenebra made a squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, man. Tenebra. I know you're familiar with this one already, so let's start off there. Okay. It's a story I've told several times before, right? Early days for me of film collecting. I found it as a part of the Dario Argento collection, and it was a part of, like, three double-disc DVD sets, and this being the second one in the, that series. So that's, you know, that's how I discovered it, along with Phenomena. That's Suspiria. Inferno. I'm trying to think of the other delicious Third? No, that wasn't in there. I've been sleepless. No, I don't think it was those either. There's, there's, there's two others, but besides the point, right? I used to invite friends over. There was a coffee shop I used to go to. There were some people I knew from childhood and then some people, friends of friends, right? Mm-hmm. And so every so often, because I gather movies, and I'm like, hey, let's check out a movie. And pff, sure enough, I'd be the first one passed out. <laughs> but 
yeah, I had to go back and rewatch some of these films. So my formal introduction was probably like 2002 or three, somewhere around that time period is when I first watched this movie. I haven't watched it a ton. I can say that much, just maybe once or twice. Okay. To be quite fair. Yeah. Cause well, that's still much longer history than me. Cause this <laughs> is my first time. This is one of those weird ones where with us doing this podcast, even after like we watched opera for the first time, I was like, well, now I want to check out more Argento and then kind of purposely didn't just so that I could have my first times with the show. No, that's good. I like that. Cause like, why not? I, I knew yeah, we you were don't eventually have to burn yourself out on yeah. it. Yeah. There's, there's certain titles that I know that we're going to eventually get to whether I've seen them or not. And that's, that's okay. So on the ones that I haven't, I'll usually just hold out for it. Even though I've, you know, been interested for a while with Argento, the beyond opera, the two that I was most interested in was, Suspiria, which we eventually got to, and Tenebra. Okay, there we are. And I'm glad I've watched it. I really enjoy it. Yeah. It's not it's not as groundbreaking as something like Suspiria. No, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean this one is it's more formulaic in a sense. This one I actually feel like is really neat coming along where it is for us in doing this. Oh yeah. And I think very specifically because in the in our Patreon episodes, we've been going back through the slasher run. And as you pointed out, like, Jolly are kind of the proto-slashers. And I know that we, whoever, hi, hi there, listener. <laughs> I know you might not have listened to all of our podcasts, so I will uh, reiterate this for a second. I know there's been a few times that we've talked about some of the more negative slasher tropes don't date back to early slashers. They date back to giallos. Yeah, that makes sense. Because in those movies, they're actually being explored and dealt with, and they're not just being used as a trope. But unfortunately, when those influences showed up in American cinema, it showed up instead as just like the dumbed-down versions. The killers as morality police in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good way of looking at that. As well as just like... Slashers are misogynistic. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the, uh, the ratio of male to female victims, it's, you know, usually skewed in a certain way. Absolutely is. Although, as we, I feel like, have talked about and discovered through the watchings that we've done for this podcast, like, early slashers were a lot more even. Totally agree. Was there violence towards women? Absolutely. And oftentimes, was it the worst of the violence? Probably. Yeah. But it wasn't skewed the way that we would see it later I in totally later slashers, especially once they became the sleazier and more commercial. Yeah, because that's, that was played up for that, like the body count. Mm-hmm. And it is something that I feel like, once again, they took the wrong idea from Gialli. Yeah. Where there is, yeah. in fact, a ton of violence towards women. There's probably really good discussions to be had about it. Because there actually are discussions to be had about it in yeah. Gialli. Because they're usually... Because that violence is usually examining a further point. Whereas it normally isn't with the more lowbrow slashers. Yeah, yeah it's just like fodder. Mm-hmm. Anyway... I say all of that and bring all of it up partially because this film seems to be Argento responding to those criticisms. 
I, I don't think it's a far-fetched idea. Mainly, mainly because, and this is not something I, I mean, that I'm coming up with. It's, it's, you know, oh, this is a film that's 40 years old now. But at that time, because of, if you will, the commercial failure of Inferno, which, like I've already mentioned, was the second of a, of a part of a trilogy. And because of its, you know, failure at the box office, he's like, all right, I'm not going to try to close out the trilogy. It'd be <laughs> kind of nonsensical. So he was like, let me get back to, you know, Giallo, what have you, and make something that's more in that, that style, that tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, it's like, it's probably more of a critique. It's like, okay, well, you didn't like my, my witch film. And not just that, but he seems to be defending a lot of the genre in general, which yes. makes sense. Even if he was doing something different, if you look at who was working on with him in this movie, yeah, man. in front of and behind the scenes, like he's in that world. Absolutely. Which I think is to be understood anyway, but that just further hammers at home. Like, even if he's doing something else, he's in the world of everybody oh, doing Gialli. Yeah, like, course. when people are leveling these criticisms, they're leveling them at his friends. That's absolutely it, true. When they're not at him. Right, it doesn't have to be a direct. It mm-hmm. still has its far reaches. Yeah, I mean, of course. So, because, like, this film has characters that straight out are, like... How do you defend your work? Yeah, exactly. Like, look at all this violence towards women. What is it going towards? And you have another major character who is misinterpreting what he's trying to do with his work. That's a very solid point. You know, when it comes to criticisms and, and things of that nature, it's, it's in a sense, in a sense, it's similar to last week where it's like, yeah, you are hitting on valid points. But that might not be the necessarily intention because sometimes you might be missing another layer. Like in right. the case of last week's film, it was you know, the dark humor. But then there might be some other points you're, you're overlooking and you're misrepresenting in this case. Well, and there's times I feel like especially when it comes to misogyny in horror media and violent media, there's a lot to be found. Most of it, I don't think can be attributed directly to any particular author, writer, director, so much as it's an outcropping of what tools are available for the director to use in storytelling due to a result of the way that the patriarchy in our society has led to where we're at as a culture. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, there. If it's it's there, but it's not as a symptom of the director, but as a no. symptom of the culture. Exactly, exactly. In that sense, I know what you're what you're getting at, and I think that's a good way of looking at it. In terms of like, it, it's still 1982, right when this film came out. Now, not necessarily that this film was a part of, you know, the video nasties and all that stuff, but it coincided with this push of, you know, these moralities. This and, one got banned a few places, didn't it? Oh, I'm sure it did. Yeah, because of the freaking intense nature of some of the blood scenes and mm-hmm. stuff. The earlier killings, I was like, okay, I get it, especially for the time period, but it's not that bad, right? And yeah. then later on, I was like, oh, no, okay, they went for it on this one. I got you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, I feel you. <laughs> I'm like, this still isn't that bad, but I get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like sometimes it is nice to kind of try to take it for you know, that time period and trying to try to make sense of what maybe what people were trying to view it from their lens, I suppose. But still, like you were saying, and, and 
you can't fault or, or attach all this, you know, uh, vitriol maybe, you know, or this this sense of like you were saying there. All right, here's misogyny, and you're doing this on film, but it's like, oh, oh yeah, but it's also a critique of what's happening in our culture and society in general. And like, there's a, there's the so much underlying. You, the only way for you to understand this story is for right. me to use this trope as a tool because that's where our society is currently at. And we don't have other ways of communicating it currently. And I think that's a solid point is like, it's like, is it the case of don't shoot the messengers? Like we're presenting a message, right? It's like, you don't have to take all this literal, you know, but it's also an art form to express a larger theme or a larger message in this case. Yeah, I was like, look at this is more of a direct mirror, if you will, of, of what's happening in society. Like you were saying up to this point in our, our history, our cultural history. There is obviously too a good argument for trying to be the change, but sometimes you're also just trying to get a story across. Yeah. And that's okay. And I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I don't think so either. I think it takes a lot more thought, a lot deeper thought and just a, a different, not a necessarily better, but just different intentions than what you're trying to do with a fucking giallo. Yeah. Like, like this doesn't need to be the change. There's a lot of other media that doesn't necessarily need to be the change. Cause what's it going to fucking change? You're talking to 10,000 <laughs> people anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's a solid point, man. It's, I don't know. That sounds kind of defeatist, but no, I think, I think you know what I'm getting at. No, like, I was going to say there's, there's, there's a sense time to, to to be a new message and there's sometimes when you're just telling a fucking story. Yeah, exactly. Is it not everything has to be, yeah, a, a message every time. It's just, sometimes it's just fun. You know, that's, it's okay. It's an art as well. It's subjective. You know, everybody's gonna have a different opinion and that's okay, man, but don't try to make it something that it's not either. And that's the thing. Like, like I said, I feel like, especially since Dario wrote this being in the community, you have two major points being first off he's being accused in the movie the the writer character who yeah. wrote tenebra which dario so yeah in a way there, neil a is critique. a stand-in right for for dario in a way yeah absolutely even at the end i feel like in a way but we can get to that uh, i like that he's being questioned as like a personal attack on like so you're misogynist because he wrote this and the it's just a, a like what do you want me to say? You've known me for years. Do you actually think that's who I am? And she's just like, no, this is just about your work, but then goes back to the same type of questioning. Absolutely. And he's like, like, cool. So like, I don't know what the fuck you want me to say. You know who I am as a person. Right. It's like, yeah, exactly. What are you, what are you, what can I say at this point? Precisely. It's like, don't in a way, right. It's like, if I'm trying to understand it from her point of view, it's like, okay, she's trying to separate personal from the business side. It's like, but, those two worlds, in his case, they coincide. I mean, I, everybody's personal life and all that stuff, but in, in this manner, right? Well, she, she was insisting she that personally. she was keeping them separate, but right. she was conflating the two, being well, like, precisely, you must be this right. since you're writing about it. It's this. very underhanded the way she's doing mm-hmm. it, right? You Like you were saying, she's conflating the two, and it's like, come on, you know who I am as a person, so why would I try to interject it in my work? It's like, maybe I'm just telling a story and you're reading way too much in it. Think about who you're talking to. Of course, there's a twist because we who we right. learn Neil is as a person later on. Exactly. So I mean, of course, that's I was I was thinking about this because you know on the way over here I was like, man, there's more twists and turns in this movie than damn country road. <laughs> but that's besides just me thinking silly. But he does that like in this film, he's throwing you kind of curveballs and you know throwing you off the scent. 
But every but time I think you that think you're part, right, it's okay. That twist isn't in service of the tone of this movie so much as it's in service of the actual, he is trying to write a murder mystery. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That's kind of what I got from it. It's like, yes, it's kind of subverted in the end, but it's subverted because in the end he was trying to tell a certain type of story, which is yeah. what that <laughs> message was about in the first place. I think He's that's like, really I can't, clever. I can't write this kind of story unless I write this kind of action. Exactly. And so it's like, where do, where do you want me to draw this divide? Mm-hmm. Like, you either let me do my work or, you know. Or suddenly this kind of story can't exist then? Right. Or it can it's only a, exist it's a form coming of censorship, from terrible people. Right. That's that's where I in in terms of like freedom of expression and you know, there's there's a fine line between creating art, you know, for the mere sake of art, and then there's another, you know, where your voice or opinions and things like that are targeted towards certain people and it's pretty obvious and you know, mm-hmm. incites hate, blah blah blah. So that's the fine distinction. But when in the in this sense, right, when you're creating a movie or a piece of music video whatever it's like are you honestly telling me like this is going to corrupt an entire society that you think is in this some kind of weird bubble and it's insulated and then, you know, it's like come on now this is this has been happening it's going to continue to happen unless we actually address the issues like why are you critiquing the art that's just a byproduct of what already exists mm-hmm. it's just told like you were saying in a way that we can communicate it where people can kind of probably visually understand it better than like metaphorically speaking it, you know? So uh, who are we really attacking here? And then later on, and we can, we'll, we'll jump back in a second and explain what's actually going on in the story. But then you have, what's it? Birdie. Is that the reporter? Yeah. You have Birdie being a major character as well in the way that this all eventually plays out in the end. Absolutely. Who is a character completely misinterpreting the way the work's going. (laughs) Once again. Yeah. Like so you have this killer trying to get rid of perversions once again, bringing up the morality or you know that the morality that side police of it. aspect. Yes, of, uh, what eventually worked its way into slashers. Yes, absolutely. And Neil having to come back, being like, "Oh no, 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 no! That wasn't the point. Like yeah. they were, if anything, the point was the opposite. Like they were in a it's loving like, relationship. It wasn't aberrant at all. Like, and now you've not only that that you've." misinterpreted the work but now you're acting out on it and it's gonna not just blight you know what you're doing but me as a whole because you're inspired by my work Mm -hmm. and you misinterpret the whole fucking thing yeah like you weren't getting this right to begin with yeah and now it's coming back on me because of it precisely it's like now it's gonna stain me it's just as well because you you can't decipher the two it's like you can't decipher like i said that the fictional from the reality well what are you doing (laughs) which Oh God, let me, I want to make sure I get her name right. Cause I oh, wanna, I'm pretty sure I was about to say a wrong name. Being misinterpreted and it coming back on you kind of reminds me, and this is a weird crossover of one of the realms I get into more often on general nerdery, but how uh, kind of what happened with a lot of the career until a little bit more recently of the director, Lexi Alexander. She was the director of green street hooligans. Okay. Which, people who've seen that movie fucking love that movie. I love that movie. Yeah, I've seen it a couple times. Fucking fantastic flick, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I can't argue that, yeah. Really touching at the end. Fucking... Elijah. I was about to say, Frodo yeah. becomes a fucking soccer hooligan. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is in there, right? Uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's a Young form of Charlie acceptance. And, yeah, I get it, I get it. 
So she also directed the second Punisher movie, Punisher Warzone, and basically got blacklisted because of it. Now, the problem was, there's a long story. I've listened to her talk about the process of making that movie at length on a couple different podcasts, and it's a really interesting story. But basically, she set out to make the most comic accurate comic book movie that had been made so far. She went and did a shit ton of research, went up on fan forums, talked to a bunch of Punisher fans. And Punisher Warzone is one of the most like accurate comic adaptation movies that exists. Like it's like that and Dread wow. are probably the two most accurate that I've ever seen. And I've watched most of them at this point. And studio fucked up because they kind of didn't care about the movie. They were kind of just knowing that, like, it was going to make a buck because it's the Punisher. Yeah, exactly. It's riding off that. <clears throat> so they invited a bunch of highbrow critics, and she knew what they were going to say. So she was like, can we do something special for the critic screening and, like, leave, like, a Punisher comic in every one of their seats so they can pick it up and flip through it and see this is what we took from, this is what you're ending up on screen. That didn't happen. Ugh. So if you go back and read all the like initial reviews of that movie, it's shit like Lexi Alexander or the the director of this movie is a sick fuck who shouldn't be allowed to make movies anymore. Gotcha. How they could they put this kind of ultra violence on screen and have it targeted at kids simply because it's a comic book movie. Right. And she basically got all but officially blacklisted for years because of that. To me, that shows the incompetence from the people who they do dictate, you know, what what ultimately happens to these films, you know, and they're more than likely just part of the capital side of it, you know, mm-hmm. they, they help the, the funds and whether or not you get it or not in this term, the marketing, advertising. It's like, dude, if you're going to put a product out, I would at least hope you would, you can at least decorate it a little bit. <laughs> I don't think it's too much to ask to put some fucking comic book you know, copies in these critics' laps. So that way, yeah, they have a better sense of what we're trying to do and what the inspiration is behind it. And be like, these aren't the director's ideas. It's like, what the fuck? This is an adaptation. Legitimately, one of the things was like, what came from the sick mind of this director? Like, that's paraphrased. But Yeah, I I, I think if if you're going to try to make sense of it, you got to look at it from a point of ignorance, like pure Mm -hmm. ignorance, because that's that's just, to me, that's dumb. (laughs) It's not knowing any better. But that's the same sort of, like, that's what this reminds me of, is, like, that argument of being like, dude, you can't be misinterpreting my shit and going out in the world with it, because now it's coming back on me. Right, you've weaponized it, and now you're, like, now you're making everybody who's either a fan of, or me in general, because I wrote the shit, it's like, you're gonna shit on the whole bed. <laughs> what are you doing? So now, spoilers. This is the spoiler <laughs> section anyway, yeah, yeah. but I want to flip to the end real quick, because I think it still kind of holds up. Like I said earlier, who we find out Neil is kind of subverts some of the other arguments earlier on. That's okay. But not when you look at the details, right? Like, he's not, in general, misogynistic. They give you the hints through his dreams in the movies and what he eventually became a killer because of. Yeah. He just doesn't like getting fucking cheated on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's not trying to eliminate the aberrant in the world. Like, yeah, just don't fuck him over. Yeah, don't fuck him over. That's it. That's what it's actually about. It's really simple. (laughs) That's what it was about the whole time. And you had 
multiple people misinterpreting it, which is why they really weren't able to figure it out in the end. Solid point. I think that's what it's interesting of, of the characters he uses in this film that help better explain this web. It's not like a, a huge web, but you know, it's nice. It's nice, but it's not that difficult to decipher. And it's kind of like that condemnation of people applying giant generalized things because of content they see. She's saying misogynistic, the journo saying basically homophobic. Yeah. And he's <laughs> like, cool, I see why it's coming off that way, but this is all because of my very personal shit having to do with things very closely in my life, yeah. which I think is the case for most authors. They don't kill a woman because they hate women, but they might write a character that gets killed because this one chick fucked them up earlier in their life. Right, and so you're drawing inspiration, not always, but you know, more than likely from real world scenarios and personal anecdotal stories. You know, and like you said, you have characters that will reflect that, but that's not what you're really doing. That's just. You know, maybe a, a way for you to deal with that with mm -hmm. this character. It's like, okay, I, I can vent my frustrations through them. Big deal, you know? I never got to tell them off fucking 10 years right, ago, but exactly. I it's need like... a character to get killed right now, so it looks like it's them, bitch. I know, right? <laughs> so, it's like, yeah, w which would you rather have? Me fictionalize or actually go out? I mean, that's it should be a no-brainer, you know what I mean? So that's where, I like how you said that, because it, it, that's a good appropriate word, the conflation. Of, of the two. It's like, yeah, just because I put this here doesn't mean that's exactly what fuck it, I mean by that. Like, come on. Is now, I do want to make it clear that that doesn't always mean no, not always. that of every author's not. off the hook either. Of course not. No. Lovecraft's I, a fucking racist. That's right. the reason why racist shit keeps popping up in his right. works. Like, and it's like, exactly. He's like, you can't always say always. That did, no. It just, that's not exist. Come on now. No. Sometimes this shit keeps popping up because... The author is, in fact, a bad person. Right, I think... And that, that sucks. <laughs> it happens. But just because they're writing that shit doesn't mean that they're a bad person. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where people have to, to learn, in a sense, to differentiate those two. You know, Once again, like movies, it's still kind of... I was listening back on this. This is where the parallel, in a sense, comes from, is where you were talking about you know people can hear or listen to like true crime stories, and it's visceral and it can be disturbing but then you set them down in front of a film that portrays that in the visual form and it's like i can't watch that it's like what, you, this, what? It's like this is art mm -hmm. and it's fictionalized whereas that other stuff Bro, you is, just like <laughs> listen for three hours about a whole family getting slaughtered right and you're telling me you you can't sit in and watch it i mean i and understand that really happened you can go visit their graves thank you and it's like that's where it's like okay the betrayal of right is not like venerating this stuff it's it's a portrayal of so that way you can probably better interpret it and so yeah you can hear it and you can digest it but when you actually see it it almost becomes like the visceral part so like it feels like it's tangible like oh no <laughs> it's like well yeah what, what do you think was happening when you were listening to all that shit when i think even the movie even goes another step further i think in the fact that he sets up I said his name once and I already forgot it. Which the one? Journo. Oh, Birdie. He sets up Birdie to basically to take the fall. Because Birdie did kill a few people. Yeah, he did. 
So what that makes me think of is when you have a character like Otis. Otis Driftwood. Obviously, extremely obviously based on Manson. Based on a real killer. This person really killed for really shitty reasons. So in the movie, fucking author homie runs with that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he runs with it, but he still does it in the end for his own reasons. Just, you know, just because Zombie wrote character of Otis Driftwood doesn't mean he's Manson. He took that and is running with that, but because of his own shit. And that's okay. And it's like, would you rather people, like I said, exactly like act out on certain impulses or, you know, like sentiments and all this other stuff? Or do you think it's healthier to write it in a fictionalized version where you can explore these themes and ideas and concepts, right? And fictionalize it so that way you can move past it to like, okay, maybe I need to do this, not in the real world, but I can do this in, you know, the fictional. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. I'm just dealing with some shit. Like martyrs, for instance, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, hello. Well, and it's also just like, I do feel like sometimes it misses the mark and this isn't done that well. But I think it's also sort of being like, look, when this is done correctly, it's also not venerating that influence in any way. Precisely. You should still at the end of the day recognize them as being a killer, as a Precisely. bad person. Precisely. It's like, don't get attached to these people. It's like, yeah, you might like the fictionalized version, but there's still, like I said, there's real world examples of this happening where like, you got to take that for what it's really worth. Like, mm-hmm. This is just a way of explaining and exploring like I said, the characters that we're portraying it on. Right? It doesn't make me or you bad for watching it or writing it and fictionalizing it. There's people by that really doing this shit. That's that's mm-hmm. what we should be focusing on if we're going to critique anything. And people fuck it up, obviously. Of course they do. Some of those I'll fucking all the time. some of those fucking like Dahmer movies and shit make him look like a fucking rock star. See, and that's like not that, the way man. that it's I supposed to be. Don't done. glamorize these people. It's like I understand to it to an extent because there is a fandom to all this stuff. But when you glamorize it and you, you know, you do all that stuff, it's like you're, you're completely missing the whole fucking point. And I think that's, that's kind of part of it is like when it's, when it's pulled off right, that person is still recognized as a killer. Precisely. And that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Like, but it doesn't mean that we can't take inspiration from them. Right. Because then this gives you room to explore maybe even further ideas. Like it's a way to... You know, in a, in a sense, get into the mind of without actually being that person or doing those things. It's like, all right, I can. I mean, it's a story prompt, right? It's like I can, I can, like I said, try to get into the idea of why they do these things, and then you, you know, you start to tentacle out, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Like, yeah, it make you a bad person. It's, it's for an exploration. Yeah. It's a character study. Well, that's what psychology is. That's what all these other, mm-hmm. you know, these sciences are. So I guess I didn't realize that this film was going to be as much about what it is to write horror film <laughs> with critics yeah. being a thing in the world as well, just, it is. It, it's it kind of, it's, it's, uh, I won't say, all right, maybe coincidental, but maybe a little ironic that, you know, we're Intent sitting here. also got banned. Well, not just in that. different places. I was like, we're, we're sitting here critiquing a film, right? You know, but from, in a sense, from, you know, the, not only fan side, but more of a rational side too. You know, like I can, once again, I can differentiate you know, what I'm watching on film and kind of maybe what they're trying to say outside of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like getting those deeper layers. 
It's like, dude, I mean, <laughs> am I going to act out on something I just watched? I'm going to be inspired by Argento to go become his next protege in slasher films? I don't think so, dude. That's kind of dumb. But yeah, is he drawing from real world scenarios and kind of like, hey, what are you really critiquing here? Me for, you know, like you said, exploring for following it. a story style. Yes, come on, man. This is not the first time this has been happening. Who knows how long? Or should we be critiquing everything else leading up to this being a problem? Right. And it's like, how much can you really babysit a society? You know, it's like these things exist because we're as a whole kind of scared to explore. But we do it through these all these different avenues, these different channels of talking about these subjects without actually taking them on. I mean, yeah, there's people out trying to solve crimes, but we need to address it like preventatively. Like we, we understand some of the causes. And if you, if you can spot those, maybe you should act on them instead of like, Oh, they're this or that or the other. It's like, it doesn't make them automatically a bad person, but they're leaning towards certain tendencies. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we talked a lot about that movie without saying a goddamn thing about, about what actually movie, happens really? in the movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> what happens man when you're trying to <laughs> review a film honestly and in, in exploring things outside of just what you're seeing on film yeah this film to me feels like it's mostly a film that is a response to criticism i agree man and, and it's hard not to to see that the way that so this film unfolds that being said it's also Pretty good murder mystery I, I did dig it i mean it's like it's not the most complex film you're ever gonna see but it's fun it's it's not, it's not bad in the way it, you know, it's, it's showing you what's happening. It keeps the beats along far enough and gives you the goods enough to where it's like, okay, you, you still got my attention. Did you figure it out before the reveal? Yes. And two cents. Well, yes and no, because he kept doing those like, yes, it is this person. Yes, it is that person. But it's not, I think the thing is, it's not just one person. It's multiple right, people. It's two. Right. And that's the thing. It's like, once you figure so out, I didn't like, yeah, get it but, all, but yeah, I, I guess did you get Neil? Neil, I totally forgot about him. No, I wouldn't have. Not the first time. I guessed it, but I guessed wrong like five seconds before mm. when he finally goes to bed with Anne, and she's trying to be like, "We should just get out of the country," and also like, "We're also going to forget about this in the morning." For some reason, just like the combination of things, I was like. Oh, it's going to be her. Yeah. But when they wake up in the morning and she's by herself, I'm like, then it was him. Yeah, there you go. And then like five minutes later, you find out. And I think that's that's kind of the cool thing, too. It's like they give you enough contextual clues to where it's like, okay, yeah, you know, at the beginning, it's got to be Birdie. The way he he talks about the things is the way they phrase things. I think it was kind of neat, too, with the detectives. I was like, okay, that was not a red herring per se, but it's it's kind of throw you a little bit. It's like, what the fuck are they doing A in his, you know, his, his apartment, whatever right. he was in? And then the, the verbiage, he's like, you're definitely going to get a second and a third letter. Like, how do you know that for certain? Mm-hmm. I'm like, but that's just it. It's like, they probably have been doing this long enough. It was like, yeah, no, there's, there's a trend. There's, there's something here that we can, but it's just the way that it's framed that can throw you a little bit. Now, I noticed when I was doing a little bit of reading around, this isn't one of the cases where I feel like everybody misses it, but I was surprised at the amount of people that seem to miss when they're writing about this movie that Birdie is also the killer. Yeah, a solid point. I I feel like a a lot of people feel like it's a true twist where it was Neil the killer was the killer all uh, along. Which isn't the case. Neil was like, there is a killer already. 
that I can use as a cover up because right. I have some shit that I need to deal with. Right. And that gives me even more, you know, I won't say fodder, but it gives me more material to write in my books. Like now I'm really inspired because I'm doing it now. Mm-hmm. Like, because this guy is still going to get the fall for these murders mm-hmm. or potentially. Yeah. And that, that kind of surprised me. Cause I also thought it was pretty well spelled out, but yeah. just in the little bit I was scrolling around online, like I said, most people had it right. But I, it surprised yeah, me the amount point. I ran into when I was just scrolling through of like people being like, and then the twist, the author was the fucking. Always. It's like, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Not right after homie died. Then yeah, you could say that. Or right when he, mm-hmm. all that shit happened. So yeah. I mean, it goes without saying the soundtrack is fire from the get go. Oh, dude. <laughs> I was just, I put that, I was like, I don't care if you like this film or not, that fucking score is a vibe by itself. Mm-hmm. And I showed you earlier too, is like, that was cool being able to see them do that live. I'm not all of them, but Claudio Simonetti and his backing. That was dope. So I was glad I got to see that way back when. So Birdie kills Shoplifter. Mm-hmm. For certain. Uh, the lesbians. For certain. Does he have one after that? Or is that the point where it switches? I Who want all dies? To I can't say, remember. I want to say that's where it switches. Okay. I think that's where it switches. Because I've got it all written down in order. So you're right. It's shoplifter. She gets a razor blade. You know, and then the, the pages. That's pretty obvious. That's where pure inspiration, right? Then, look, then this movie's also prescient because we were just talking about how later slashers learned the wrong lessons from Giallo's. Solid. This character learned the wrong lessons from the story he was reading. Yeah. And that's what led to legitimately he only kills women. And if you look at... And is morality police on top of that. Yeah. For both the shoplifting and then aberrant behavior, deviant yes. lifestyles. Yes, absolutely. They're promiscuous lesbian couple. <laughs> but I think this is where the switch is, is with the fourth girl because she stumbles, because she's getting the dog attack and she stumbles into the place. So the first, yeah, so she's more uh, self-preservation. Absolutely, because he was framing him, and she's happened to stumble upon that shit mm-hmm. inadvertently, right? And he's like, "Nah, I gotta get rid of this this gal," and he'll still get framed because it's on his property, right? And then the rest are just his revenge. Absolutely, yeah. Once he takes care of homie, and then everybody else subsequently, they have to because they're too close to the source. The part that confused me though at the end, when he kills Altieri but accidentally thinks he kills Anne, Anne right, right, and right. is broken up over that. Obviously, he's, he's fine with still running away with Anne. He only goes to kill her at the end because now she knows that he's a killer and that he's behind it all. Yeah, like I said, she's way too close now, and all these people are way too close. But, like, he breaks down because he thinks he accidentally killed Anne, right? I think so, yeah. Even though it was Altieri. Who did he think he was killing? Did he think he was killing Altieri and then mm. fucked himself up because he didn't look at her face? There's a part of me in, in that because she's already booked him a place in, sounds like in Paris, right? Mm-hmm. So she's supposed to meet him after the fact. Like he's going to go there and then she'll meet him after, I guess, all these loose ends and Rome is happening. So it makes, there's a part of me that wonders too, is like, yeah, did he, know, well, I'll hold on. No, I mean, he would have. No, I say he would have had to. Because, I just don't know no, who he, he thought he was killing. No, he would have had to know that. Where I was like, why else would he? Yeah, but did he think he was killing Altieri, and mm. then it turned out he actually did kill Altieri? Yeah. Did he think he was killing 
the dude detective and he just has terrible vision at night. I, like, yeah, that's, that's a good point, man. Maybe he, I don't did know. Did he think he was just killing a rando who happened to be in the apartment? I was going like, to say, I'm going to start speculating. I probably shouldn't do that. But the only thing that would make sense to me is like, yeah, the, the coat, maybe he was thinking, I, yeah, who? Because if he, he felt thought? like it was Anne, he wouldn't have swung. I was going to say, no, with that too, was like, was he so far in his psychosis? That, if you want to put quotations around, that's fine with me. But, you know, so far in that, that mindset where he was just, he was just instinctual because he was, you know, reactionary more more so than thinking it through, mm-hmm. like who he was swinging at. You like say, "Oh, I fucking swung out on my my gal and I missed." Yeah, that that, that poses the question: Who the fuck did you think it was? I don't know. Whoever I was swinging out. <laughs> yeah, which yeah, I and mean, maybe that's the thing. It's like I'm about to get. You know, it was self-preservation kicks. Well, in, yeah, because like, he was. They were actually at that other gal's place where she gets the arm lopped mm-hmm. off. So you've already got her in there, and then you've got him in there, and then homie comes back, and then he gets it. The detective. So now you got two dead bodies in there. Now somebody else comes in here. Is like, well, we'll make it three. Fuck it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So technically, we've given enough information that people can piece the story together, right? Yeah, like, I, I would think. But so. like, detective shows up. Killings are going on. Inspired by his latest novel, which mm-hmm. you've already said, Tenebra. And yes, this guy is being inspired through conflation. Like you said, he's, he thinks it's one thing, and it's absolutely not that. You missed the point. And Author's then he, actually then, yep. the killer. Yeah, uses so he, that as a cover because it turns out that his fiance has been having a, an affair, affair with, with his agent. Yep. Yep, and that's actually the real inspiration because of, through those flashbacks, you see he was well, wrong. the real inspiration is that he had already killed when he was yes, 18 and he got away with it and he got away with it and it's implied through the dream sequences mm-hmm. that his girlfriend at the time had cheated on him back then as well yes yeah, oh yeah it sounds like what multiple dudes but mm-hmm. <laughs> but the point being yes yeah but those are also dream sequences and it might just be him blowing shit up in his brain him conflating the whole mm-hmm. yeah exactly and that's okay i mean in the sense that, like, it still plays itself out, like, you know, regardless. But I think that's that's a better way of looking at that, too, is, like, he wasn't killing because... He already did this long ago, and now, yeah, his ex-lover's having an affair. I went to, I, would you call it an affair? Yeah, weren't they supposed to be exes? That's what I'm saying. If you're already an ex, how can it be an affair? Well, I think... Unless I, they were doing it, and then it continued past that. I'm wondering if there was a fuck-up in... Because some... A couple characters are definitely dubbed. Oh, for sure, man. Without and a doubt. Even the characters that aren't dubbed, there's a few moments of pretty blatant ADR. And I'm wondering if there was some mix-up, because I'm positive That's that they call them too, exes yeah. early in the movie, but later on, she's referred to as his fiance. That's a good point because of dubbing and yeah, that's a good point. I'm just man. wondering if like there just was some continuity error at some point. I would say in that case, probably more than likely. And it wouldn't surprise me one bit. Like, so when you have so many people from different countries, yeah, now you're trying to distribute it to so many different other places, it's going to get lost in context sometimes, and that's okay. But, like, I thought for sure that they had been exes for, like, what it sounded a, like. a year or two. At least. It's like, now she's following him, now she's stalking him. Like, no, she's out fucking homie. <laughs> so I, I don't know. But yeah, I but mean, from it, what I gathered, yeah. though, it's like, no, he's actually out for revenge from them. He's setting up the original killer to be the fall guy. It all I sort think, of plays out at the end yeah. and he ends up dying accidentally at the end anyway. 
because a statue falls on him. Yeah, and that's kind of like... And he gets impaled, and it's kind of fucking funny, actually. It, it really is, because then it becomes, once again, kind of comical. You know, like dark humor. It's like, well, yeah, now, now look at you. <laughs> Anne's the only one that survives in the end of all the main cast that you meet. Yeah. Um, but really, here's the thing. Even though there was a split second where I thought she was the killer, in hindsight, she's kind of the only one that deserves to stay alive. Yeah, it's... I can't. I don't know. Maybe that young kid that was assigned yeah. to him, but like, there there was a part of me, man, when they were doing their whole like stakeout. I'm like, this dude is being so blatantly loud. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is why you're the driver. Get your ass back in the car. <laughs> and then the second bit that kind of killed me a little bit is uh, the dog chase. I was like, oh man, she fucked up, dude. <laughs> like first. Just uh, fucking with that dog. She never fucked with that dog. Yeah. And then, not only that, but I was like, when that dog circled and sniffed her, I was like, oh, she's really fucked now. So she's trapped. She can't go back outside because of the dog. But then you got the killer in the house. So you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Have we ever seen John Saxon be this fucking goofy before? No, I don't think so. I, I kind of came up with my own little fan theory about him, his character, yeah, just yeah. as a character actor. was like, all right. This was two years before Nightmare on Elm Street, right? But he's still playing, like, detectives and journalists and all these other roles, right? So maybe for continuity, there's there's a little something here. So we've mostly seen him as detectives in other films. And I'm like, okay, so before Nightmare on Elm Street, he was doing all these things, so it kind of gave him more of, like, a character arc. Like, he was training in Kung Fu, and then, <laughs> and then he was dealing with this shit. And then he went into a nightmare on M Street where it's like he's he's dealing with these weird like forces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he got kung fu masters, goddamn slashers, and then he's got nightmare dudes. Like what a hell of a ride he's been on, man, <laughs> as a character actor. But it's like this is what your dad was doing, Nancy, before all this shit. Uh, right, I'm hilarious. I mean, we already touched on it. <laughs> it's no Suspiria. No. And it's never going to be remembered in the same way, but I'll tell you, there's, there's one scene cinematically that I think people need to bring up more often, and it's actually the entire sequence leading up to him killing the lesbian couple. Yeah. The camera work, I've never seen anything like that. That's pretty that part. Obviously, like, the best way, if you're listening to this, just, like, go watch it, and it'll make more sense, but the best way I can describe it for an audio-only fucking podcast <laughs> yeah. is it's almost like... The camera is bouncing between the different windows of the house and looking in on them, and it's just a super long, like oneer, as it's just traveling over like brick for a while, and then yeah. you get to another window. But it's truly like it's bouncing almost, and it's not just like going between window to window. But when it makes those transitions, it goes all the way up over a portion of the roof, and yep. then back down, and then those transitions shots are back wild. and. Yeah, because it, it's not a shot that you would ever see normally in a film, I don't think. Nope. And then you've got the layer of, you know, the score coming in on top of it. And you know something's going to happen, but you right. don't know what. Like, the tension's just... And that, that's just it. It's like it's mounting that tension, you know, because it's an audible cue, but then you're also getting this, like you said, this bouncing between floors and perspectives. And, yeah, it's it's really cool. I loved that part. I would watch it again like right now yeah. it's fucking great they do some stuff technically too that's i mean it, it's like a hallmark in a sense or a tech you know like a, a 
not a trademark, but you know when you see an Argento film, it's like, okay, this is a shot he likes to use. He likes to use, he likes to use rain inside the car with like flashes. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a certain effect, you know, something that's going to happen. And it's like those little things, those little penchants that he likes to use. Or it's like, yeah, that's Argento when he's at his finest. What about Neil creeping on the plumber? Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was like, he was being fucking weird about it. Just like stand, like making her squeeze past him in the fucking door frame and shit. I'm yeah. Like, Come on, and then homie. he's like, yeah, gel bait. I'm like, well, yeah, but you know, you had a little bit of liberty there. It wasn't stopping you that much, homie. I know. I, I don't want to remark it. <laughs> it's going to sound weird, but the point being too, is like they play some of that stuff up too, because once again, it's like, stuff that happens outside of the frame of the film as, right. as well like yeah i'm pretty sure that the maintenance guys working in that place were mario mario and luigi mario <laughs> <laughs> yeah no shit i'm like damn these dudes are just and they're doing their job and i want nothing to do outside of that we're just contractors <laughs> got nothing to do with the politics behind here oh my god that was they walked on screen i'm like <laughs> Yeah, Who the uh, fuck? I mean, Where did Bob Hoskins come from? I was like, yeah, if, if you didn't know that this was an Italian film, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I was going to say, too, man, this is going to be probably the most misogynistic thing I say, but this is this is true of these films. It's like, there was a bunch of smoke screens in this movie. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. But the thing I like, too, about, like I said, this style, it's interesting in the sense, like I said, it, it is a, it's a slasher in a sense. But it doesn't follow, and it's because it's a proto. It came before the slasher. It doesn't follow those formulas because it, that was never the intention. Right, right. I mean, it's a horror movie, but just barely. Right. It, yeah, it's more of, like you were saying, like a crime suspense thriller. It's a murder mystery thriller. Right, and that's, that's Who's okay. Who's the killer? Yeah, Are we going to figure know, it out before they kill again? It's like, uh, probably if it wasn't for the, the amount of blood that we see in this film, it probably wouldn't be a horror. And the name attached to it. Honestly, just <laughs> attaching the name Argento to it. Yeah, it's, it's automatically assumed. It's like, yeah, no, this is a horror. This kind of fits in the block, kind of doesn't. The true villain of this story is obviously Neil, who is not actually a serial killer. He's an opportunity killer because he yeah. needs to... He feels like he needs to kill these people uh, in his life. Gosh, um, yeah. That being said, fucking Birdie is probably a serial, would qualify right, as being right, a serial right. killer. No, I, I, I agree right there because that's so like he, so the hallmarks. It, it totally does. He just happened to get off to kind of, not early, but... Kind of. kind Yeah, it, all things considered, there was several murders after seven, to be precise. Oh, uh, another line. I forgot that I put it in my notes that just goes to highlight the whole idea that this movie is a pushback on criticisms, but like the detective bringing up that like, I'm a detective, but I could never figure these things out. I think is just once again to further push like, this is not reality. Exactly. That's a solid. It's like, I read all of these. I never figured them out. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. (laughs) Because yeah, because crime doesn't actually happen this way in the real world. Precisely, man. It's exactly. There's not this formulaic thing. It's a template in in the fictional sense. Most of the killings are pretty. They're not bad. They're not bad. Like, I mean, the. I like. I mean, they're not bad. It's just that they all pale in comparison to what you get later on with fucking arm chop and shit. And that's probably the the highlight if you're going to be like. Or if if, if I'm going to say anything about it for me, that's like. That was like, okay, yeah, let's paint it red right now. Let's use all of our blood and our budget on this right, right now. 
the ones previous are fine for a murder mystery and I'm okay not for that. a horror movie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the first one's not bad. It's yeah, it's fucked up, but it's not the worst you're going to see. I guess that one does push it a little bit compared to what you would normally get for like a thriller. I, I can't so. argue. I can't argue there because like it does holding push her it. up with the fucking razor stuck in the neck. Yeah, while and everything the mouth leading up the... to it, it's more like okay, it's creepy. This fucking homeless guy is you know chasing after her, blah blah blah. Uh, but then they have to that point, like, oh okay, shit, <laughs> she's really getting fucked up. And I think that's like you mentioned earlier. That's kind of what pushes it over the line. Is like. The actual violence on screen mm-hmm. is a bit more than you would get from just like an Agatha Christie or something. Yeah, and it, like I said, can't argue that. I think that's what the distinction between like um, I want to use them once again, but a De Palma film from this time period, you know, early mid '80s, which they were more like sexy. Yeah, they were sexy, uh, but they were more into that you know, murder mystery. But it's it's more like erotic thrillers, you know, where yeah, this one is. You're going to see more slashing. That's okay. I wasn't expecting him to pull off the uh, the saw routine. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty interesting. Um, listening, talking about jigsaw and stuff. <laughs> but like, he's, I was like, this, that's a fucked up ending for this. But I'm like, I did go into it knowing that on, like, the only thing I did know is that only Anne lives. Mm-hmm. So when he did that, I was fucking flabbergasted because I was like, how does this end then? Like, how does the detective get killed? Cause homie just slit his throat. And when he yeah. goes back in and it, it was all well, set up, I was like, Oh shit. I, I think another really clever thing in that sequence, right? When he comes back in the detective, he's like, Oh, this is all fake. The knife, it's squirting fake blood. So at, you know, once again, it's like, we this is this not up. how real shit happens. That pres- I was just about to say that. It's like, we, I don't know how many times we framed it in that context. It's like, look, this is a movie. This is effects. This is fake blood. He's literally showing you that on film with a fake fucking knife. Mm-hmm. Like, don't draw inspiration for something that's not real. Come on now. <laughs> this isn't the way this shit happens. No, no. Don't be acting that stuff out in the real world. Don't do that. You're missing the point. But that's it's his way of doing it, and I like that. I don't know if I have too much more. Like, no, I feel like, like we got really into the... I, you know, more so than I thought we probably would, because... If you're just following the film, it's like, it's pretty, I mean, it's, it's cool, it's clever, but it's not like anything, like you were saying, groundbreaking or make, oh my God, this is mind-blowing. It's cool. I said the name once already, so I'll bring her up again. Like, it's a good murder mystery, but it's not an Agatha Christie. No, dude, come on now. It's, it's fun, but like, like you were saying, I think it's more his way of kind of pushing back on the critics, like you were saying, and it's like, come on now. Yeah, don't. Yeah. Don't level this shit at us. Like, yeah, this isn't like, who we are. Don't lop our fucking feet off, man. We're just making art here. Come on now. Yeah, let us do this. I mean, fuck. I mean, if this if this reflected who people were as people, horror directors would all be fucking locked up. Oh, come on, man. And, and there's people out there that want that. I know. I know, and it's fucking dumb as shit. I hate That's it. why I'm like, you guys are so stupid. I don't like, feel sorry for them. Really. Laugier would be doing life. Man, there's so many people. I mean, I, Lars von Trier. I was like, we don't have to name them all, but yeah, there's so many people I could be like, yeah, that person definitely. And don't get me wrong, some of them probably should be locked up. Yeah, I'm not saying that, but but you know, but but like we all know who Lucifer Valentine. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying there's people out there that are are abhorrent and all that other stuff, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't speak for the entire community. That's that's ridiculous. And I'm saying that more because not because of the art he makes, but because of shit of. 
he has apparently no, done I've, as a person. Yeah, it's like I, I've read some stuff and what have you, and it's hard for me. I, I can't say, but from you know the feedbacks, like eh, probably not a good person. Yeah. You know? If I meet him, cool. If I don't, I'm okay with that too. <laughs> I'm more okay with that. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you know, I've seen enough from him where I, you know, I know where I stand, and that's okay. Yeah, that that's where I can separate the two. Yeah. Again, Lovecraft racist. Right, and it's like, do I subscribe to that? Of course not. Do I like some of his fictionalized version of characters and in the stories he's telling? Yeah, it's cool, but also know he's you know he's got this side of him I fuck I can't fuck with that. Yeah, but you can also recognize it and of separate. Of course, it. of course, of course, of course, and you know however you want to deal with it beyond that that's that's you know that's a personal thing. Yeah, whatever. Just once again, I mean. I assume by now that if you're listening to us, you probably agree with us on this I would shit. hope, man. But it's just that, like, we're getting into it because it's kind of the point of the movie as far as we're concerned. Yeah. It's like, and it's a pushback if, on this criticism. And if so. you're going to be, like say, if you're going to try to do it fairly, you have to kind of take that aspect of it. Yeah, you have to. Uh, next week. Oh, dude. This one, not as serious. I don't think, I mean, we might make it serious, but it's going to be fun. It's, oh, we're going to have a shit ton of fun. John Waters, our, our formal introduction, I guess, if you will, on the show, right? How, how did anybody think that when we started the show, we were going to talk about John Waters? Uh, not with this film. Uh, I would have been like, you know, maybe some of his other stuff with Divine, you know? Yeah. Pink Flamingos comes to mind, but that's not really horror. That's more shock. Yeah. Um, but this one fits the bill because of the lock ran, and it's fun. It's more on the dark comedy side of things so yeah this is gonna be a fun way to, to kind of wrap this block serial mom it is you know, i'm excited it's gonna be super fun um what do i normally say to end the show i do too many podcasts now <laughs> no i mean i i can't think of anything else i want to say i mean this is you know this is cool we're getting to revisit argento um yeah i agree and goblin so yeah that's about it for this week tyler i'm danny Brian squirms out Hi everybody, Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, we highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Uh, scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. Not going to give you all those ats. So, with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace. <laughs>